Good morning. This is exciting. I'm so happy to uh, be here in person with you all today to worship God together. It's good to see you, or at least part of you, part of your face. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm nervous. I got to admit, uh, this is the first time I've preached in front of real people uh, for over a year. I've been preaching to a camera for a while. And uh, at a, I'm actually even more nervous because the passage that we're in today is just so amazing. It's an amazing passage. It's an amazing event. It's, it has amazing implications for our life. And this should make sense to us because it's about our amazing Savior. It's, it's the Mount of Transfiguration. So before we begin... Let's pray. Pray with me. Dear God, um, God, I need your spirit to even begin to wrap my mind around what's happening in this text, let alone explain it and articulate it and, and to, to draw out anything that's meaningful for our lives. Lord, we need your help. Open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our minds to understand and to see you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, we've, we've got some work to do, so let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 17 is where we're at. We'll actually start in verse 16. Um, but to, to set the scene, to review, uh, let's just try to remind ourselves what has happened in the days leading up to this. As Paxuparno noted last week, We've, we've come to a turning point in the book of Matthew. We've come to a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. From here on out, Jesus will be marching to the cross. Jesus has, has just told his disciples in chapter 16 that he's going to go to Jerusalem, not to overthrow the Roman Empire, but to die, to be put to death. And then he told them that not only was he going to die, but if they wanted to be his disciples, they too must deny themselves and take up their cross. And then he says this in verse uh, 28 of chapter 16. He says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now there's a lot that we could talk about with that passage all right, and there's a lot going on there. And if you want to grab me or one of the other leaders or, or someone to talk about it, please do. But for our purposes today, I just want to point out one thing that's crystal clear about that verse is however you read it, what's clear is that all of the disciples eventually will die, right? Some of them will taste death before they see the kingdom. Some of them will taste death after they see the kingdom, but they're all going to taste death. This is not the message that the disciples were expecting to hear from their Messiah. They must have been confused, discouraged. And that's where our passage begins. So let's dive in. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. 
Why these three? Some people ask that. Why did he just take the three? Well, there's undoubtedly many reasons, but primarily, according to Old Testament law, to verify the truth of an event, you needed two to three witnesses. So he brings these representative disciples, the inner circle, up the mountain. Additionally, if he had brought in more than that, it, it would have been much harder to keep his true identity, his true power, his true majesty a secret, which he needed to do in order to accomplish his mission on the cross. So they get to the top of the mountain, and, and it's at that moment that something extraordinary happens. Verse 2, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Jesus' appearance is transformed, and his face, his clothes, and all of him begins to blaze with a brilliance that's brighter than the sun. And it becomes as bright as lightning. Glory is just exploding out of Jesus. It's like, have you ever, ever been in a hotel and they have those blackout drapes, right? And, and, and you sleep in and it's the middle of the morning and you go and you open up the drapes and the light just ugh, blinds you, right? It just shines in. That's what happens, right? Jesus is, is pulling back the drapes just a little bit and his glory shines out. And then something just as extraordinary happens in verse 3. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, I know somebody out there is going to ask me, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? I don't know. Maybe they had name tags, you know. Um, uh, you know, maybe it was a supernatural just awareness of who these people were. Maybe there was pictures hanging up in the synagogues when Peter grew up and like, oh, yeah, that's that's Elijah. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. What is important is that they knew who they were and that they were there. Just pause for a moment. Try to picture this. Try to imagine this scene. You're on the mountain. Jesus is shining his glory. Moses and Elijah are there talking with him. Soak it in. Because in a moment, it's about to get interrupted. All right? And it's going to be interrupted by Peter. Okay? Now, Mark tells us that, that Peter didn't know what to say. Most of us, when we don't know what to say, we don't say anything, right? <laughs> but... That's not Peter, right? That's not how Peter rolls. Of course, Peter's going to say something, right? So he opens his mouth, and what he says is really cringeworthy, right? In verse 4, he says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I I like to imagine James and John just kind of doing a giant face palm at this at this point, like oh, Peter, come on. But in, in reality, they were probably hiding in fear because they thought maybe maybe Jesus was gonna zap them with lightning from his eyes or something for for this dumb suggestion of Peter. But thankfully, Peter and his awkward interruption doesn't last long because Peter himself is about to be interrupted. Sorry, I'm going all over here. All right. He was still speaking, verse 5. 
when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. All right. Basically, God shows up to say, Shut your mouth, Peter. Elijah and Moses, they're not on the same level. You don't build a house for them and, and for Jesus. They're, don't treat them the same. They're not equal. This is my beloved son. Don't you dare think about equating them. Be quiet and listen to Jesus. And now the disciples are in the right position. They're on their face, silent and fearful in the presence of the Holy God. Let's just unpack this just a little bit, okay? Any, any Jew would know immediately that when a cloud shows up on a mountain and a voice starts talking from that cloud, that is the special presence of the Holy God, right? All throughout the Old Testament, you see God showing his special presence through a cloud, right? Mount Sinai, crossing the Red Sea, uh, the, the tabernacle, the dedication of the temple, God is present in the cloud. But not only is God there in the cloud, the glory of God is shining forth in his Son. You see, on this mountain, the divine glory of Jesus breaks through the veil of his humanity. The miracle here is not so much that uh, his glory is showing. The miracle is that his incarnation has been veiling his glory. And now they see through that for a moment. The emanating glory from the face of Jesus was not a reflected glory. This was the Shekinah glory of God. Jesus is the very revelation of the glory of God. The light was not from the outside like a spotlight shining down on him. It was emanating from within him. Elijah and Moses are the only Old Testament figures to have met with God on the mountain. And that's, again, what they're doing here. They're meeting with God in the flesh on a mountain. And you might remember from the Old Testament when Moses just got a glimpse of the back of God as he was passing by, what happened to Moses' face? It was shining. It shone for days. Right? But the light of Moses was a reflected light. Like the moon reflects the light of the sun, the glory of Moses was a reflected glory. The light and glory of Jesus Christ comes from himself. It's an internal, inherent glory that's bursting forth. This is why the New Testament writers had no problem referring to Jesus as the Lord of glory which is an Old Testament term referring to God. Jesus doesn't reflect the glory of God. He is the glory of God. And not only do we have the Shekinah glory of God coming from Christ himself, the cloud of God's presence envelops the mountaintop. And God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When it's all over, only Jesus remains. Verse 7. 
Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus is so gracious and so patient with these guys. He comes, he touches them, get up. It's me. Don't be afraid. Come on, it's time to go. Verse 9. They were coming down the mountain. Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. The disciples understandably have questions, and and most of them revolve around them still trying to wrap their minds around the timeline and, and the fact that the Messiah is going to suffer. That's, that's just hard for them to understand. It didn't fit with what they thought was going to happen. But Jesus tells them that they are to tell no one what they saw, right? Until he's raised from the dead. The cross must come before the crown. So that's our passage. Now, at this point, it, it might be easy to think, okay, what, how in the world do I apply that to my life? There's a lot of theology and big ideas going on here, and I've never seen Jesus glowing on a mountaintop, so what, what do I do with this, right? But in reality, this passage has one of the, the clearest, simplest applications of any passage I've ever preached. And it's simply this. Listen to Jesus, right? That's what God showed up to say. Listen to him. And it's important to understand that this command to listen to Jesus the, the word there, listen, it comes from the same root word as obey, right? So it's not just a listening to get knowledge, but it's a listening in order to understand, in order to, to truly hear, to truly be changed, to truly obey and believe Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we listen to Jesus? There's, there's many ways we listen to Jesus, but I want to suggest a few ways from this passage that we can listen to Jesus. First of all, we must listen to Jesus in all of Scripture. We need to understand that the Bible is not just a collection of random stories and lists of rules and ir- irrelevant history. No, it's, it's one big story that's telling one big story, has one hero. And if you miss that, you will miss the point. Maybe as an example, um, so my father-in-law, I love my father-in-law. He's, he's amazing. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. But he is the absolute worst person to watch movies with. Because he never 
watches movies, right? And and so whenever I watch a movie with him, he's just totally confused, and he can't figure out what's going on. So he starts asking questions. He's like, "Well, who's that guy? Why did he do that? How does that guy know that guy?" And he's like, "Well, if you just be quiet and watch it, you'll understand." <laughs> but especially if it's a series of movies. Oh man, don't even try. I made the I made the mistake of taking this guy to go see Avengers Infinity War in the theaters. All right? He'd never seen a Marvel movie in his life. He didn't even know what Marvel is. <laughs> so we're watching it, he has no clue what's going on, right? Cuz he didn't know that this is a story that had been being told over a decade, like 23 films, right? And he totally missed everything that's happening. He had fun. He liked the action scenes. There's cool special effects. He had no clue what was happening, right? And the same thing applies to how we read the Bible, right? And especially our passage today. If you come to this passage without understanding the big picture, it's not going to be a waste of time. You will see things amazing about Jesus. But you're going to miss things, and you're going to have a hard time understanding what's really going on. And so we, we need to remember that Peter, James, and John were Jewish. They knew their Old Testaments well. And at that time, even still amongst Jews today, the Old Testament is often referred to as Moses and the prophets. Moses wrote the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And then the prophets was just kind of an abbreviation for the rest of the Old Testament. So for the writer of the law, Moses, and the ultimate Old Testament prophet, the protector of the law, Elijah, to be the two that show up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it means something. It would have given a crystal clear message. This is the Messiah that we wrote about that our ministries pointed to. Additionally, it's not only important to understand who is at the event, but how this event happened. And it's parallel to other events in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Exodus on Mount Sinai. Right? There's so many parallels to Exodus chapter 24 and Moses' encounter on Mount Sinai. We don't have time to even scratch the surface. This is a whole other study by itself. But here's just a couple I'll list. Okay, Moses, like Jesus, goes up on a high mountain. He goes up after six days. Three individuals are brought with him who have special privilege. A cloud descends on the mountain, and the voice of God calls out from the cloud. Right? And we could just keep going. There's so many parallels. But why this is important to point out is, is that the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration would have understood that they were participating in an event that was just as important as Moses on Mount Sinai. It was a key transition in the history of God's people, just as monumental. At Sinai, the mediator of the Old Covenant, Moses, was established on the Mount of Transfiguration, the mediator of a new and better covenant, Jesus Christ was revealed and confirmed. The law points to Christ. The prophets point to Christ. Remember 
what God the Father said from the cloud. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That listen to him comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Look what Moses said there. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Ever since Moses gave that prophecy, God's people had been waiting for that prophet. Here he is. Philip had it right when he said to Nathaniel, you remember this in, in John chapter 1? He said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Let me ask, do we do this? Do we, do we ask how our scripture reading points us to Jesus? Or do we just come to the Bible looking for rules to obey or tips to, to help us parent better or moral checklists to follow or emotional self-esteem boosts or promises to rip out of context and apply to ourselves without ever thinking, how does this point me to Christ? We got to pick up this book. We got to ask the Holy Spirit to help us see Jesus, to help us hear Jesus. Help us to listen to him through his inspired word. Both the voice from the cloud and the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us are saying the same thing. Listen to Jesus. When you read your Bibles, when you listen to Jesus, you're going to see that the law is good, but Jesus is better. The law comes to tell us our disease, but Jesus comes to be our cure. Jesus is better than any of the Old Testament heroes. Jesus is the better Joseph, redeeming his brothers even though they sold him for a few pieces of silver. Jesus is the better David, ruling an eternal kingdom that will never, ever fade away. He's better than manna in the wilderness. He is the bread of life. Jesus is the brazen serpent lifted up to heal all who will behold him. John chapter 3. Jesus is the rock struck to bring life-giving water to his people. He's the Passover lamb. He's the great high priest, better than all other priests. He's the good, good shepherd, better than all shepherds. He is the great judge, surpassing all judges. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, surpassing all other authorities. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. If you read your Bible, if you listen to a sermon, if you sing a song and it doesn't point you to Jesus, you're missing the point. Listen to Jesus in all of Scripture. I think there's, there's a greater challenge, a greater question that this passage brings to us. And it's the question, am I spending more of my time and effort and affection in pursuing an experience than I am pursuing Jesus? Than I am listening to Jesus? 
This is the second way this passage calls us to listen to Jesus. We must listen to Jesus as a more sure word than our experiences. I, I had made a whole list. I sat down with my family this last week, and we just kind of listed all the amazing ways that God has shown himself in our lives. All the amazing experiences we've had that we've seen him work in unmistakable ways. And, and I wish I had time to share those stories. I mean, you can take me out for coffee and I'll talk your head off. But um, I have those stories. I love those stories. And, and you probably have stories like that, too. And you love them as well. We love hearing those stories. They're encouraging. They're faith-strengthening. But listen, the reality is, is even though I've had those experiences, I still have seasons of doubt. I still struggle with sin. I still struggle to believe that God loves me. And I think the temptation is at those times to think, if I could just have another experience, just one more, God, show up in my life, then I will be faithful. This, this story, this recording of this historical event tells us of one of the most extraordinary experiences of God anyone has ever had on this earth. These three men saw the glory of God shining in Jesus, and it put the sun to shame. They saw Moses and Elijah talking with him. They were overshadowed with the glory cloud of God, and they heard him speak audibly. This is the kind of experience you and I would do anything to have. The idea of ever doubting God again after experiencing something like that is crazy. But in a matter of months, just a few months, these same three men are going to be on another mountain with Jesus. And he's going to ask them to pray. Stay up and pray with me for one hour. They're going to fall asleep. And then when the Romans show up to arrest him, they're going to hide and run in fear. And then Peter. Peter's going to deny Jesus. In fact, Peter's going to not deny three times that he even ever knew Jesus. When in reality, he had seen Jesus' face shine like the sun. He had heard God speak from heaven to tell him exactly who Jesus is. Spiritual experiences are simply not enough to keep us faithful. So what do we do? If our spiritual experiences aren't enough to keep us faithful, what do we do? Again, I think God answers the question for us in this passage. He answers it when he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. If you want to know God, listen 
to Jesus. He is the very Word of God. He is the self-disclosure of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. If you want to know God, the best way, the only way, is to listen to Jesus. Years later, Peter's going to write about this experience on the mountain. And by this time, Peter understands this wasn't just about a spiritual experience. It's about Jesus. He writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This man who had seen Jesus transfigured on the mountain doesn't say, be like me, seek the experience. And he says, pay attention to the prophetic word. That's what you need to pay attention to. That's what you need to listen to. If you want to know God, to understand the depth of his love for you, you don't have to go searching for a spiritual experience. Instead, you have to go listening to his son. And the place that we're going to hear from Jesus is in this book. The Bible, it's inspired the very words breathed out by God on every page. It points to Jesus. It's a more sure word than any experience. Now, don't hear me saying that experience is wrong or that God doesn't personally involve himself in your life uh, through circumstances, you know, dreams, uh, whatever, Lord, uh, deep impressions on our, on our hearts, many other ways, experiencing God is not wrong. What I am saying is that no earthly experience outside of God's Word will ever compare to the knowledge and the intimacy with God that's available to each and every one of us through His Word. Listen, you've you got to believe the best words you will ever hear from God in this life have already been spoken. If you'll listen to Jesus today, if you'll listen, hear him speaking through his word, let me tell you just a few of the things that you will hear him say. You're going to hear him tell you that he is glorious. 
I mean, is this not crystal clear from our passage, right? You, you can't read this and come away thinking that God is not a God of glory. In fact, over and over again, the Bible tells us that God is glorious. The, the word glory, it means weight in a sense. Uh, God is, is the heaviest being in the universe, right? He's the gravitational center of all of existence. But you want to know what the most glorious thing about God is? It's not that he's so far above us or so unlike us in his perfect holiness and pure righteousness. It's not his power. It's not the fact that he would be justified in pouring out his wrath on our rebellion. It's that he chooses to put his glory on display by coming down to earth, entering into his own creation, living as one of us, serving us, and then taking on our own sin. And like a lamb being led to the slaughter, being put to death on a cross. That is what Jesus said was his hour of glory. And just real quick, as you were reading about the transfiguration, as we were talking about it, and you saw that Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus on the mountain, did you ever think, Man, it'd be great if we knew what they were talking about. That, that's amazing. That'd be amazing. Well, we don't have to wonder, right? Matthew doesn't tell us, but Luke does. He says, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. They were talking about what is waiting for Jesus in Jerusalem. They're talking about his death. Moses and Elijah, the law... And the prophets clearly understood why the Messiah had come. They must have been talking about it in heaven, right? This is, this is the moment. They knew Jesus had to die. They knew why he had to die. And what's interesting is that word there for departure in Greek, it's the exodus. You have Moses talking to Jesus about Jesus' exodus. The great Moses come to lead his people out of true slavery to sin into eternal life. If you listen to Jesus, he's going to tell you how glorious our God is. And if you listen to Jesus, you're going to hear him say, I love you. But in case you think words are cheap, remember that Jesus doesn't just speak the words of God. Jesus is the Word of God. And that means His life and His actions speak to us and show us the heart of God. Listen to 1 John 4, verses 9-10. through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The book of Hebrews actually says that the blood of Christ speaks on our behalf. So do you hear what Jesus is saying? Do you hear what his blood is saying? It's saying, I love you. What I'm trying to communicate is this, there's nothing God could say to you in an audible voice or with a strong impression or in a dream or a circumstance. There's nothing God could say personally and uniquely to you today 
that would compare to what he's already said to us in Jesus. Extraordinary experiences are great, but they simply do not compare. I don't compare, and we're fools to make a bigger deal of our feelings and our experiences than we do about the cross. His blood speaks, and it speaks a better word than anything else ever could. And it declares to us that he is glorious and he loves you. Even if he doesn't answer all your prayers the way you want, even if your devotions have been dry for a long time, even if he's not showing up in your life the way you think he should, he loves you. We don't need an experience. We need a Savior. And we have one in Jesus. If we just are pursuing an experience, we'll be left empty, craving another one. But if we're pursuing our Savior, if we're listening to him, you will experience God's love. And you won't have to doubt it because it's not based on your experience. It's based on his word. If you want to behold the glory of God, it's found in the face of his only son, Jesus. If you want to know how God feels about you, you look to the cross. If you want to understand the extent of God's power, you look at the empty tomb. And if you want to know that he will never leave you or forsake you, you listen to Jesus. The best thing God will ever say to you has already been said to you in this book. You just have to listen. Listen to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, we can't do any of this without you opening up our ears and our eyes, Lord. So, God, I pray that uh, as we, as individuals, as the body of Christ, Lord, as we talk to each other, God, help us to point each other to you, Lord. Help us to hear you. Help us to listen to you and to hear of your love for us and to have our capacity to see and worship you expanded, Lord. God, whatever circumstances, whatever experiences we have this week, Lord, help us to listen to you in the midst of them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.